because right. in many ways, your newsrooms in terms of coverage and in terms of representation, mm -hmm. they're going to be a reflection of the everyday lived reality for people in that particular area. Welcome to the Among Neighbors podcast, a joint project with Point Park University's Center for Media Innovation and YWCA Greater Pittsburgh. Welcome to Among Neighbors, a podcast about race, power, and privilege. Today, we're talking about something that we all consume almost even without even thinking about it, and that's the news media. I'm Andy Conti, Director of the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University. And I'm Barbara Johnson, Senior Director of Race and Gender Equity. That's the paper that I kind of refer to being new to the city. Okay. Do you, do you read the Post-Gazette or the Tribune Review or? Um, I do. Uh, I'm not a typical paper reader, so I don't buy a paper and I don't read it every day. Um, usually I just look to the paper for information or um, if there's a paper available, I might look up information. Um, and I think now with access to the internet, there's a lot of places to find news. And so one of the things that I am very aware of is how um, important it is to look at different sources to make sure that you're getting the full scope of what the news story is. I'm curious too, when you look at the Pittsburgh media beyond the, the Pittsburgh Courier, do you see yourself reflected in it? <laughs> Absolutely not, which is probably why I focused on the Courier because, you know, that seemed like the place where I felt most comfortable in terms of seeing people who look like me there, as well as um, learning about things that I was interested in. Well, good. Well, this is a perfect setup to today's conversation. I'm Excited to have on uh, Dr. Latrell Crittenden, who's heads up the journalism program at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia, and who used to be a professor here at Robert Morris University in Pittsburgh, where we first started working together a few several years ago. And so, it's excited to have you on, Latrell. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about your your work in Pittsburgh, because I know you you've done a lot of studies, some going back many years, on um, you know the lack of diversity in Pittsburgh media. Are you surprised when Barbara says she doesn't see herself reflected in Pittsburgh media? No, I, mean, I think that that's a running theme through not only my own work, but work going back a decade. Um, so my initial foray into looking into Pittsburgh media, I was formerly a board member when I was in Pittsburgh with the Pittsburgh Black Media Federation, which is an affiliate chapter of the National Association of Black Journalists and actually during my time there, we actually won chapter of the year twice, uh, once a shared title and uh, once uh, on our own. And I think that part of that was the vigorous watchdog uh, work we did looking at diversity issues inside of Pittsburgh media. The first was a study uh, that well, was released, uh, I should say, in about uh, 2015, 2016, where we looked at the overall diversity inside of newsrooms in Pittsburgh. And for those that actually responded, what we found was that they were, the number of journalists of color were vastly underrepresented as it compares to the overall diversity inside of Pittsburgh newsrooms. Um, on top of that, when you looked at specific areas of coverage, uh, police, uh, schools, urban affairs, areas where you would typically encounter, for better or worse, a lot of people of color. You did not see people of color covering those areas. So basically you had a situation where 
you had an overall lack of diversity and you had a, a, a dearth of reporters covering issues uh, that impact directly the African-American community uh, in Pittsburgh. And from there, I uh, continued to do a number of uh, studies there. And the work is still ongoing, but the most recent work, I interviewed approximately 20 journalists, mainly journalists of color, that have worked inside of Pittsburgh newsrooms to get their sense, okay, so what's happening with regard to diversity issues in terms of news coverage, and also how well are you received inside of your newsroom? And the latter is important because one of the great assumptions about diversity in newsrooms is that if you have a lot of people of color inside of a newsroom, that it will change the culture. Uh, I wanted to push back on that to really see, well, even though you don't have a lot of journalists of color there, what is the overall uh, perception that you have of your power to influence decisions inside of the newsroom? Uh, so what that particular study found, uh, or did you, I, so that's basically the setup for the study. We can, I can go into more detail, but if you, if you had any other questions, certainly. The thing that um, really resonated for me as somebody, as a, a former a newspaper person that, uh, you know, the, the most recent report where you talked with black journalists was like, oh, I, I know these people, I, I've seen these situations unfold. And so that's why it really resonated with me. But uh, Barbara, I'm curious from your perspective, if you want to jump yeah, in. Yeah, I did read the study and, and I think that um, it certainly supports the reality that, um, that there's systems that are um, racist in our city. And so it's easy, uh, Latrell, you said, um, you know, there's lots of, you can add more individuals to the, to the space and they're still going to experience the same things. And that's because the, there's layers of individual racism and that's compounded with systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And the systemic racism is what holds everything in place in the same way, regardless of how the players change. And so, um, you know, I, I am not from the news media, but I certainly saw that in the higher education space that I was in. Mm -hmm. I see that in the work that I'm in, in the nonprofit world. Um, and even today, um, you know, there's 6,000 podcast, not podcasts, but uh, Zoom meetings happening on a daily basis. And I'm constantly getting invited to all these Zoom meetings that are supposed to be looking at the, you know, the new Pittsburgh after COVID-19 mm -hmm. and recovery, and you'll look at the panel, it'll be all white men. Mm -hmm. So I'll say, like, how can you think of Pittsburgh's recovery from COVID-19 with an all white male panel? Like, what is that all about? So mm -hmm. again, it's the, the, the systemic racism just lingers on and is, is what makes people leave. <laughs> And 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 that I'm, I'm glad you noted that because that was one of the major uh, findings uh, mm -hmm. of the actual study is that one journalists of color inside of newsrooms did not feel that the newsrooms did a good job of covering issues inside communities of color. Uh, two journalists of color did not feel as if they had a voice. So if they would suggest stories, mm -hmm. if they were opportunities for promotion, if there were uh, just everyday lived experiences. Hey, how are you doing? Do you, are you accepted in a newsroom? People of color did not necessarily feel that. And then three, and I think that this gets into the larger systemic issue. And this is not something that I was anticipating finding, but 
a lot of the people who worked in newsrooms, and I should say that some people are still in newsrooms, some people had already left newsrooms, mm -hmm. some people have left since then. I mean, people were anonymous, but um, so there's been a lot of uh, so did people in different situations, but life in Pittsburgh for a lot of people of color was so detrimental that yeah. that was sort of the nail in the coffin for decisions as to whether or not they wished to stay in the newsrooms because it wasn't just the fact that life wasn't great inside of newsrooms. It was mm -hmm. that life wasn't great for people of color outside of the newsroom either. So when you right. combine all of these different issues, you get a situation where you have very low retention of talent of color, particularly as it pertains to uh, journalists of color inside of newsrooms. So mm -hmm. that was a significant finding that combined to really keep this level of diversity inside of newsrooms low. There's no real efforts. The first part of a, the first study was there's not a lot of diversity and there are no real efforts to recruit. But when you actually get journalists of color into inside of those places, they don't feel like they're part of the mm -hmm. infrastructure and then they don't really want to stay. And by the way, they don't like Pittsburgh that much either. So that's sort of the crux right. of the actual study. Right. And and we know that racism as a concept is layered. So one of the things that I see also is that there's a, a socioeconomic dynamic that that definitely impacts people who come from somewhere else. So I'm one of those people, right? So I come into the city of Pittsburgh. I've been here, you know, most of my life, my adult life, but um, I don't have a, I went to West, I graduated from Westinghouse High School or, you know, I don't have this like cohort of life friends that many uh, people of color in Pittsburgh have. So that's one dynamic. And then there's another dynamic of socioeconomic status. So, you know, there's like the 10 top, black leaders in Pittsburgh that get invited to every panel discussion and every event and everything. And then there's everybody else who never even is thought about and is completely excluded from the life of Pittsburgh. And so that dynamic has to be a struggle for someone who comes here from another place and is trying to fit into the world of media, I would just imagine. Um, you know, I was fortunate to be in higher education. So higher education is kind of a a little, a little bubble, and so I was allowed to exist in there. But I'm now seeing Pittsburgh through the nonprofit eyes, and you know it is a severe wake-up call because it is clearly the racial stratus is there, and then the socioeconomic stratus is there. Mm -hmm. And if you're not one of the top ten black people that everybody knows, don't even think you're going to get invited to anything ever. <laughs> Barbara, I'm glad you're here. We, I'm glad we glad we got you on this podcast, at least. Only Andy invites me to things. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, but I think you raised a, a really good point, and it's I don't think Pittsburgh is necessarily even that welcoming of a place, regardless of race. Like mm -hmm. just on top of it, you know, to outsiders, it's not that welcoming. Yeah. And then when you put those issues of race and socioeconomic issues on top of it, it becomes even less welcoming. I don't, what do you think, Latrell? And I know you're talking in the third person, but for you, this has also been a personal issue. I, I will say, um, without going into specifics, uh, I am in Philadelphia for some of the same reasons that I guess a lot of other people leave. Um, I, I feel much more comfortable in Philadelphia. Um, for example, I, I live in, one of the things that I think, and this is slight deviation, but one of the things that 
Pittsburgh lacks that other places that I've been actually have of Philadelphia or Chicago. You do not have, and, and I touched on this in the study, you don't really have that strong central middle-class African-American neighborhood yep. where you have black institutions, where you can go to eat, where you can hang out. Yep. Uh, and that is something that as compared to Philadelphia uh, or as compared to a place like Chicago, you don't have that infrastructure where uh, there is there are opportunities for life outside of mm-hmm. your workplace. And if your workplace is not particularly inclusive, <laughs> you're dealing with this double-edged sword of, yeah. oh, I'm not represented again in my social. daily life at work, and I'm not having the opportunities to have a strong social life. So I think that that's a significant issue. And by the way, as has been released in more recent uh, studies and was discussed uh, in the piece that I talk about, Pittsburgh for working class people, particularly women of color, is one of the worst, the worst. cities to be in the worst. <laughs> inside, in the entire nation. Right. So the thing that I, and, and the one thing I will say about Pittsburgh, and this is why I added that last section, again, you can't divorce the systemic racism that exists and permeates throughout the area from solutions to dealing with the newsrooms. Because right. in many ways, your newsrooms, in terms of coverage and in terms of representation, mm-hmm. they're going to be a reflection of the everyday lived reality for people in that particular area. So for instance, um, uh, I actually just had a study that came out in central Pennsylvania in my hometown, which is called Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. And in that case, uh, you had the same types of issues in terms of not a lot of representation inside of the newsroom uh, and a lot of concern about not being inside of, not being in, represented in, in the newspaper. Uh, so the difference I think there would be that the hope in Pittsburgh is that you do have a number of media that potentially can if they change their ways, solve a lot of these issues um, through doing better coverage, through doing better engagement, through reaching out more. Whereas in a place like Chambersburg, there's absolutely no infrastructure. The local news media doesn't cover anybody well. And you're dealing with two to three newspapers that don't really do very good coverage of anything, let alone the communities of color. So now you're dealing with, uh, with my argument there is you're dealing with an invisible population. I would not say that Pittsburgh has an invisible population. It's just that they're not fairly represented uh, in the media, which means that there is some potential for uh, change. I'm curious, Latrell, were there, were there, um, so are there, is there a population of young people in Pittsburgh who, who, and I don't know if this has ever been studied, but who would be interested in the media or, or, um, you know, like, cause you said in your study that many people came from outside into Pittsburgh media and then, you know, stayed for a year or two and then couldn't handle it because of the racism and then left. So what, there's nothing bubbling up with our youth. Well, they're, they're, they're so actually uh, Pittsburgh Black Media Federation for, well, for more than, I believe, 40 years now, has had the Frank Bolden Journalism Workshop. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they've actually trained a number of journalists who actually have done work in journalism. Okay. Uh, and I think that that was supposed to be an incubator and has been an incubator for journalists coming in. They get an education, they start there, and then the idea is at some point they can get back to to Pittsburgh and right. then they would be able to sort of facilitate that change. And I argued in the piece that that sort of organic cultivating of talent is going to be key to sort of transforming Pittsburgh newsrooms um, because, quite frankly, of the racism and because you do not... I mean, there's certainly people who have come and stayed for years, but right. the best way to really have people who stay and are understanding of the deeper issues inside of Pittsburgh is to cultivate that talent from within the city. So yeah. things like the Bolden Workshop certainly can uh, be a facilitator of that. I will say, though, in the past uh, several years, uh, for a variety of reasons, including financial reasons, you haven't had a lot of the, the, the number of participants in that workshop has declined. Yeah. So that has been uh, something very negative in terms of that. Uh, I also would argue that the universities could help facilitate more of that work. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that I think people don't really remember about Pittsburgh is that in terms of pure journalism programs, the there's Duquesne and then there's Point Park in terms of pure journalism programs. Okay. It has a has a communication program. Robert Morris has a communication program, but you're not dealing with a lot of pure journalism programs. Additionally, and I don't know the numbers on this, but there are very few faculty members of color inside the communication programs in Pittsburgh. If I, I don't know what it is now, but I, there was a time when I was the only one yeah. that I left. So that's, so when you talk about these institutional right. structures, they permeate all, a whole host of different uh, areas. Yeah. The other thing that I do also notice, um, you know, I'm pretty far along in my career, but I also imagine that uh, or notice that younger people um, who enter the workforce after finishing their professional degrees are less likely to have the, the ability or the will um, or the privilege to challenge the systems that exist. So, you know, if I'm, you know, 25, and I'm experiencing racism, one of the ways that I can handle that is to, you know, get the experience that I need in whatever space that is, and if it's Pittsburgh, and then get out, versus trying to fight a system that, as a young person, might just, you know, run me down because I don't have that um, wisdom to really think about how, how I can move through that. And most colleges, most bachelor's degree programs don't teach young people how to manage the racism that they're going to experience as a black and brown person when they step into their first job, hands down. <laughs> I would agree, but I, I pushed back on that idea a little bit in my piece because I think that a lot of people teach resilience in terms yeah. of, in the, in the face of racism. The thing is, people of color should not have to be resilient in, term, in the face no. of racism. There should be no racism. And, right, and, and exactly. this, is, this is a retention issue in the sense that if I have to face racism on a daily basis, if that is my everyday lived experience within a certain situation, 
And I am talented enough that I can go to Philadelphia, to Washington, to Chicago, and I have that option. I'm going to leave. Right. And I think that that's why you don't have a lot of retention of talent in places like racism, because this idea of resilience that, and, and again, I think that it is important to learn, but I think that the real catalyst for change would be transforming the entire culture to be a much more inclusive space because that's how places like Pittsburgh lose out on talent because after some point of time, it's like, if I'm going to have to deal with racism on an everyday basis, and I'm going to have to, in, in my work and uh, outside of the workplace, and I have the opportunity to move elsewhere, right? especially if I'm not from Pittsburgh in the first place, <laughs> why am I going to stay here? And yeah. I think that that is the decision that a lot of people of color in Pittsburgh have been forced to make because their overall quality of life isn't very good. And Pittsburgh, the thing in terms of live, people talk about most livable city. Well, a lot of people of color don't feel that it's livable. And yeah. in terms of talent, you can go elsewhere. I mean, that's the, and, and that's the one thing that I think people are forgetting in many cases that, or maybe they're not, but it's like, you don't have to be here. And right. a lot of people have decided I don't have to be here. So I'm going to move on elsewhere. Right. You know, that's what makes me sad about this whole thing is that, you know, as a, a white person in Pittsburgh who grew up here, that I, I don't want to see people of color just leaving the city because it's it's such a racist place. And so I wonder from Latrell, from your perspective, uh, you know, what can the city do? What can people here do to uh, address this and to be more welcoming to uh, one within the news media, create a news media that's more welcoming and more representative, but then as a city also to be more welcoming? The city part, I have no idea. That's that is so systemic. Yeah. I think that they've had conversations with the mayor and the, calling it a health crisis. And I think those conversations are being facilitated. But I think the only way that that's going to to take it back to the media, I think that it has to be you can't you'd have to approach it from every last single sector of the actual mm -hmm. business industry. If you're talking about business where you actually have a wholesale effort to engage in efforts to remediate racism. Uh, and you would have to do that in housing. You would have to do that in so many different sectors. Newsrooms, I mean, there are a number of things that I think could be done immediately. One would be hire more people of color. I think that that, and that probably before this crisis with COVID, that would have been probably one of the easiest things to do. It was actually suggested uh, during the uh, interviews that I had. Mm -hmm. Done. Like, look, you have... You can sit down and say, we're going to hire the next 10 people. They're going to be people of color. And by doing that, all you're doing is raising the level of diversity in your newsrooms to be representative of the community. And that way you're engaging people in a way that says, all right, this is an important thing in terms of diversity. But some of the other suggestions that were made uh, or that through the two studies, one, uh, in, in addition to recruitment, would be having meetings on a regular basis to deal with these types of issues. Uh, one of the things that the PBM study we asked, have you had any community meetings or you have you sat down or you have a committee of people who discuss your news coverage? No. Um, do you have staff meetings to discuss your news coverage? No. So you, it, it's to transform the actual culture, you have to acknowledge that the problem exists. Right. 
And I think that that's the first step is to say, look, we can not only can we do better, but we can actually can make a difference. The one and I would say that actually I have a piece that's coming out where I, we looked at some nonprofits and we actually one example that actually I think they're moving in the right direction in Pittsburgh is public source. And I think uh, so my piece is talking about the changes that they've made from going from uh, the investigative ProPublica type piece to one that's focused on hyperlocal journalism and some of the things that they've done and that, that I'm talking about in the piece. Um, one, having community discussions to varying degrees of success. Um, hiring somebody specifically to engage communities of color on your staff. Making and, and their most recent and making an effort to hire more people of color, even though they and, and even though they acknowledge, and I think that this is the key, they acknowledge they need to do a much better job with that. So I think that public source does represent this model for transformative change where they're looking at how are they gathering information, how can they get more information about people of color, how can they engage people of color on a better basis. And I think that they are one entity that, while not perfect, and recognizing you're not perfect, but they're they're moving in a direction where I think that they're they they they're, they get I think they get the problem, and I think they're making strides to be impactful uh, in that area. Okay. Well, as we think about wrapping up this conversation, and we could go on a long, long time talking about this, but that's been actually one of the motivators for Barbara and me is just to start having these conversations because like as you said if if people don't even acknowledge that the problems exist then how can we start to address them and we can't and so uh thank you for coming on and, and helping us mm -hmm. at least start to identify these issues and talk about them in a frank way so i appreciate that absolutely nice talking with you latrell thank you very much and thank you for having me on absolutely good luck in your work thank you and thank you to everyone for listening to this podcast among Neighbors, a podcast about race, power, and privilege. The show is produced by the YWCA Greater Pittsburgh and the Center for Media Innovation at Point Park University, where I'm the director. The show is produced by Tyler Polk. For more information, visit us online at pointpark.edu slash CMI or search for Among Neighbors wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Among Neighbors podcast. This podcast was produced by Tyler Polk.